When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, please, Gavin, while this was going on, you guys were still using town criers. Ass. The following podcast contains... I was told foul language is encouraged. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. Do you think this podcast have made money? When you made a long-distance call before 10 p.m., what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe. This is episode number 404, Cheap Nightly Rates edition of the show, where we talk about yet another of history's endless conflicts, the long-distance wars. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking? Podcast is brought to you by Fast Eddie's phone card, making collect call easy for 30 years. You need to reach out long distance and don't have got a dime. You need Fast Eddie's phone cards. Prepaid long distance calling for all your discreet, affordable long distance news. Or maybe you got a new arrival in the family, or maybe you got to uh, arrange a sudden departure from the family. Fast Eddie's is the way to go. Use any phone anywhere that doesn't have, you know, a third party listening in. Maybe like a gas station in Newark or a restaurant on the uh, Garden State Parkway. You know the ones. Dial the card number, then the number, and then Fast Eddie's takes care of the rest. Fast Eddie's phone card. Call collect, call secure, and call with confidence. Uh, operator, I'd like to make a collect call, please. First name, Bob. Last name is... We out of baby, eats a boy. Hello? Collect call for Mr. Bob, we out of baby, eats a boy. Sorry, wrong number. Who's that, dear? Bob, they had a baby. It's a boy. If you like saving money, call GEICO. A 15-minute call could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Last name is, we had a baby, it's a boy, eight pounds, three ounces, mother's doing fine. I am not a phone call person. Never cared for them. You don't have any friends. I have friends. I just don't talk to them on the phone. I find phone conversations painful. If you can't read the other person's body language, how am I supposed to know if they find my story entertaining? Trust me, they don't. It's because I can't get proper feedback to know when to punch up the story. I mean, if I just tell the same dozen dumb, boring stories over and over to my friends on the phone, I might as well be doing this dumb podcast. Fair point. Look, you might think this is an adult Dave thing. Not technically an adult. As a teen, I was never one of those kids who would spend hours a night on the phone with the phone cord stretched to its mathematical and structural limit, engaging in long, soul-wrenching conversations. He had no friends. I had friends. I mean, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I also didn't have a lot to talk about as a teenage boy because uh, I didn't have a girlfriend. Big surprise there. Meaning I had no one to spend hours in sweaty, sexless conversations about our mutual desire to do stuff, but were too constrained by social mores from our parents. My guy friends weren't exactly deep thinkers, and neither was I as a teenager. So, uh, not much has changed. Like, if we wanted to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, we'd do that face-to-face. If we wanted to talk about music, we'd do that in person over a stereo or a boombox. And that just left weed, and we damn sure knew we couldn't talk about that on the phone. So what was the point of the call in the first place? 
If I made a call in my youth, it was for a reason, to establish a place and time we would meet in person and smoke weed. I suspect this had a lot more to do with me being a boy since my sister could and did engage in the stereotypical teenage behavior of spending hours on the telephone with her friends. Which, now that I think about it, was also a huge factor in why I didn't use the phone that often. She was always on the fucking thing. What I'm saying is, I never developed the habits that so many other people did of talking on the phones for personal reasons. When I became an adult, the phone became a tool that I used for work. And that made me even less likely to dial up a conversation with a friend. If you spend your night answering 911 calls, the last fucking thing you want to do when you get home is spend more time on the telephone. Still... Before we all used our phones for anything but talking on the phone, people be talking on phones. Which brings me to my topic for this week, which is not nuclear energy because that was just way bigger than I'm willing to write about and the jokes that I wrote were pretty weak. Now, this week, I'm talking about... We also get long-distance calls. And how, for a few years, they were the hottest commercial market in America. In the beginning, there was the word. The word that was spoken when Alexander Graham Bell connected his invention and said into it, Farts! Elephant farts! Well, actually, what he said was, Mr. Watson, come in here, I need you. Bell is widely created as the inventor of the telephone, but as with pretty much every invention, the truth is somewhat, uh... Problematic? For the sake of simplicity, let's just say that Bell was the one who won the first patent on the device recognized as a telephone. A Virginia Tech website gives us a nice, simple explanation behind the science of a landline telephone. Quote, When you speak into a landline phone, your voice travels in, a small, in small sound waves. The sound waves are carried to a thin metal disc inside the phone called the diaphragm and are converted into electrical energy. The electrical energy travels over wires to another phone and is converted from electrical energy to sound waves again, which can be heard by someone on the other end of the phone. Unquote. Early phone lines were crudely simple. Little different than a tin can on the string, but Bell was the first and foremost a capitalist, and he knew that if he wanted to get paid, he had to make a stolen invention a lot more powerful. Quoting now from Elon University. No relation. Quote, in 1877-78, the first telephone line was constructed, the first switchboard was created, and the first telephone exchange was in operation. Three years later, almost 49,000 telephones were in use. In 1880, Bell merged his company with others to form American Bell Telephone Company. In 1885, American Telegraph and Telephone Company, AT&T, was formed. It dominated telephone communications for the next century. By 1900, there were nearly 600,000 phones in Bell's telephone system. That number shot up to 2.2 million by 1905 and, and 5.8 million by 1910. In 1915, the first transcontinental phone line began operating, unquote. Prior to the mass adoption of the telephone, the fastest means of communication was the telegraph, which means going to the telegraph office, composing a briefly word letter. You paid a penny a word, so brevity was essential. It was translated into Morse code and then cabled down to the destination office, translated back to a text, and then a messenger would be dispatched with your telegraph. People used the telegraph for important shit. The average person might send one telegraph a year, if that much. The wealthy and the business people sent a lot more, and of course, news and government used it frequently. But you didn't send anybody a telegraph just to catch up. When the telephone came around for the first time in human history, normal, everyday people had access to near-instant communication over long distance, and it changed everything. Just like the telephone killed the telegraph sex business. 
If you think the internet changed, uh, changed shit, it had nothing on what the telephone did. When the telephone came along, you can now pick up a phone and quickly and easily contact a person on the other side of town, the other side of the country, and eventually the other side of the world. For a price, Ugarty. For a price. We're getting to that. You paid for the service, but the individual calls were not charged so long as they were local. This made money for AT&T, but the real money was in the distance. The long distance. To be fair, it cost a lot of money to make this kind of magic work. Because you needed infrastructure. The physical wires that connected Marge's living room handset to the local switchboard. One ringy-dingy. Two ringy-dingies. A gracious good afternoon. Have I reached the party to whom I am speaking? Boy, that was outdated when Lily Tomlin did it in the 70s, and it doesn't mean shit to people now. In the beginning, every phone call had to be routed through a human being who literally plugged the circuit from the number you were calling into the destination circuit. Eventually, the process was automated into direct dialing was possible, but for our purpose, we're sticking with the earliest days. You would tell the operator that you would like to make a long-distance call, then give the location of the switchboard network you wanted to call. Then... They would plug you into a special circuit that transmitted you hundreds of miles. And it took a long time to get your long distance call through because you had to wait in line for the lines. When a circuit eventually opened up, the operator would call you back and then connect your call. In 1892, the maximum distance was roughly New York to Chicago. And someone needed to pay for the wires that stretched from New York to Chicago. And the person who paid was the person who was making the call. I mean, you could reverse the charges so the person receiving the call could accept the cost. I told her to call collect. In 1910, that call from New York City to Chicago would cost you five bucks for the first minute and a buck fifty for every minute after that. In today's money, a five minute call at those rates would cost $274 in change. International calls are rather more exorbitant. I uh, I put a link in the show notes with where I got those rate those rate quotes from, but it's legit. Two hundred and seventy four bucks for a long distance phone call in today's money. By the nineteen twenties, the basic national infrastructure was largely com- complete. Though remote areas would wait longer for long distance service, a local network could be constructed fairly cheaply, and places that still burn candles at night and shit in outhouses had telephones connected them to their neighbors, and eventually the outside world. It wasn't until the 1950s and the advent of computers that automation began taking the switchboard operator out of the equation. How Stuff Works explains, quote, computers allowed for the replacement of the long distance operators with computerized switches. The computers would create the connections and the billing records just like a human operator. Physical wires still connected to the receiving party on each call, but the computer connected them together at each office. If, from California, you dialed 1-212-555-1234, a New York number, the 1 identified it as a long-distance call, telling the local switch to connect to a long-distance switch. The 212 told the long-distance switch connected which long-distance line to grab. The 555 told the long-distance office in New York which the local offices to connect it to. Then the local office would connect you to your friend. Computers in each office would pass the number along as digital data via data lines connected between the switches, unquote. And so it was by the mid-1960s, the modern infrastructure of the telephone network in America was more or less complete. You could be in rural Idaho, 200 miles from the nearest city, 
if you can call Boise that, especially in the 1960s, and pick up your house phone and call your cousin in New York direct. It was going to cost you, but you could do it. Now, this is usually where I start shitting on capitalism. And I will in a minute, but in all honesty, the creation of this network was a monumental undertaking and cost billions of dollars. Without this system of connecting wires already in place, we would not have the modern internet. Though copper wires now replaced the, are now replaced by fiber optic cables, those fiber optic cables run along the same infrastructure systems the copper wires did, saving billions of dollars and years in time and making the internet affordable today. So, AT&T deserved to get paid for the work they did creating our modern world. The cost enabled businesses to make trillions of dollars that they couldn't have without modern communication. So, uh, I guess good job capitalism, but you know, you know what happened then? They got greedy. Allow me to explain. You had a phone. It was AT&T's phone, or rather it was Western Electric Telephone's phone. It was literally a Bell telephone because Bell owned the people that made your phone. You did not own your phone, the phone company did. AT&T owned all the switches, exchanges, lines, and even the poles those lines were strung on. Every penny spent on telephone communications in the United States and much of the world went into the pockets of American Telephone and Telegraph. This is the way. This is the way. That was until a company called MCI for Microwave Communications Incorporated came along. Cybertelecom.org explains, quote, AT&T had market power. It used its market power to extract monopoly rents in horizontal and vertical markets. It only permitted AT&T Western Electric Equipment to be attached to the network, and it charged higher prices and rents for that equipment. It also practiced peak demand pricing, charging higher prices for long-distance service during peak demand, which was in during business hours. This created an arbitrage opportunity for someone to build a business plan that routed around high network feeds. MCI was an innovative long-distance company that radicalized the telecommunications market. It started in the 1960s. The business plan was to use radio licenses to provide long-distance service between Chicago and St. Louis. MCI's application to provide service was approved by the FCC in 1969, but AT&T and the regional bells owned by AT&T didn't like this. They refused to interconnect with MCI, unquote. I'd say that sounds illegal. That's what the courts thought, too. MCI won over a billion dollars in damages from AT&T, and then a few years later, AT&T was broke up and broken up by the United States government because it was the textbook definition of a monopoly. Simpler times. Mm -hmm. In 1984, seven independent phone companies were created out of the split from Ma Bell, 9X, Pacific Telesis, Ameritech, Bell Atlantic, Southwestern Bell, Bell South, and U.S. West. This actually made prices go up in basic telephone service, but hey, at least you could have a cool phone. Will Garth ever get his Sports Illustrated football phone? Garth did, and so did everyone else. But more relevant to our actual topic is AT&T no longer dominated the long-distance calling market. This caused prices on long-distance to plummet and setting the stage for the long-distance wars. Finally. The Los Angeles Times sets the stage in this 1995 article, quote, 
Price slashing has been commonplace in the residential long-distance market since 1995 when Sprint first introduced the rate of 10 cents a minute. AT&T, still the dominant player in the long-distance telephone markets, has seen its market share slip, but it jumped in on Monday with its own new discount plan to hold on to its customers. AT&T is dropping its residential long-distance rates to 7 cents a minute, 24 hours a day, in an effort to simplify complicated pricing plans commonplace in the industry. The company's announcement follows rate reductions earlier this summer by Sprint Corp and NCI WorldCom, which dropped their evening and weekend rates to 5 cents a minute. Sprint, MCI, and WorldCom charge, currently charge up to 25 cents a minute for daytime calls, unquote. In war, you must marshal your forces. And the big three had credible soldiers at their disposal only the soldiers were, uh, were, were 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 television ads you live in a world where one long distance service has made reaching out to faraway places commonplace you've got AT&T long distance connecting your phone with any phone anywhere where we route your long distance calls in seconds where 44,000 operators are ready to help you. It's nothing short of miraculous. Hi, Mom. We're AT&T. We're what you call long distance. Yes, sir. Listen carefully. If we don't make the third cases, they will lose the account. If your long distance sounds bad, get 30 free minutes of crystal clear fiber optic long distance. Call Sprint now and switch. If you were AT&T, the old American telephone and telegraph, the biggest, most powerful company in the universe, what would you be scared of? If you were AT&T, you'd be scared of only one thing. Me, from MCI. You'd be scared I'd call your customers and show them the savings with MCI. And you'd worry that they'd really like the idea and switch to MCI. Lighten up, AT&T. Don't be so scared of me and MCI. You have millions of customers, and it's going to be years before I can get through to all of them. And these were but three, admittedly the biggest three, competitors in the endless stream of long-distance commercials that dominated the airwaves for over a decade. Fairly certain, the copywriters and art directors working in advertising were all employed basically by the phone companies. Every third commercial on television was for a phone company telling you how much the other phone's company's service sucked and how their service was the cheapest way to tell your family that you loved them. And you do want to tell your family how much you love them, don't you? You sad sorry fuck. You see, at first, it was the phone cards. When I tell someone the MCI card is better than AT&T's, they look at me funny. So I tell them our card saves them up to 25%. Then they look angry. But not with me. Until you call, you'll never know how much better a long-distance company can be. The idea was a pretty good one. Instead of plunking $17 worth of dimes into the phone, you'd have a credit card that worked only for long-distance phone calls. They could be linked to your home phone home phone number, or they could stand alone. A lot of businesses use them for their employees on the road. All you had to do to use them was dial the access code, usually 1010-something, and then you put your card number in, and then your PIN number, and then the phone number that you wanted to dial. You'd have blisters on your fingertips by the time you were done dialing all those fucking numbers. Eventually, the phone cards were linked to discount calling plans, kind of like your grocery cards, loyalty, your grocery store's loyalty cards, and keep you paying your loyalty to whatever service you got the card from. But then along came the prepaid card, which you put money on and just made the calls using that money. Prepaid calls were the way to call long distance in the 90s. Parents would load them up for their kids before sending them off to college as a way to keep them calling home, knowing that they just gave the money the kids would use to buy weeds. By the early 2000s, phone cards were mostly dead as cell phones and prepaid cellular took their place. Phone cards do still exist today, though they're 
largely for international long-distance marketing, mostly to Latin American families whose Tia in the old country refuses to use a cell phone. After the cards came, then there were the plans. Plans? We planned plans? By the late 1990s, there were 14 different long-distance companies, and those companies had numerous plans apiece, offering a variety of options and prices. AT&T alone just had standard service, and then AT&T One Rate, AT&T One Rate Plus, and AT&T True Reach. Excel had something they call the dime deal. Express Tel had Timeless 12 and Flat 15. Frontier had some home saver and Frontier 1. GTE had total call and easy savings. LCI had difference, two rate, and single rate. Matrix had yes, MTalk, and Smart World. MCI had one savings, one extra. Sprint had Sprint Sense and Sprint Day. WorldCom had Home Advantage and Home Easy. And these are just a few of the many possible plans you, the phone customer, could choose from. For fuck's sake, even America Online had a long-distance calling plan. And the source for all of that nonsense was a consumer price survey that went to excruciating detail on every plan in existence at the time. And it is linked in the show notes if you're the kind of masochist that is into that sort of thing. And how are they different? Did you hear all the names? They all had different names. That's how they were different. I mean, all the plans had pretty similar pricing structures. Millions of advertising dollars were spent touting a price difference of two fucking cents which, honest to fucking God, it's two pennies. No one cares. And what is going on with all these telephone calling plans? MCI, AT&T, is this shit really necessary? When did the phone bill become life's most critical document? In a country where you can buy cinnamon dental floss, cheese in a spray can, and edible women's panties, are people really breaking their balls to save nine cents on a fucking phone call? It soon became obvious to everyone even the phone companies eventually, this was also massively confusing. No one knew what the fuck they were doing anymore. People were hopping plans like frogs with a hemorrhoid, and the confusion over the rates and the plans were turning off customers. So the phone companies came up with a whole new way to get you the 1010 numbers. The most famous of which was, of course, <clears throat> What's this, Dad? Uh, 1010321? Oh, that 10321 has changed to 101031, but you still get the same great savings. Still saves 50% off every call over 20 minutes? Of course, still half price on those long calls to Romeo in New York. Does it save all the time? Sunday, Tuesday, any day. Just dial 101021, then one and a number. Easy. Easier than laying off this stuff. 1010321, new number, same great savings. I say it was the most famous because it was blasted every 13 fucking seconds on every goddamn television commercial. 101021 wasn't the only one. Every other 13 seconds, you had something like, uh, Wow, even the donut holes cost over a dollar. Honey, nothing good costs under a buck nowadays. How about a 20-minute call to anywhere in America? <laughs> That's crazy. He's right. Dial 10, 10, 20, and all calls up to 20 minutes are only 99 cents. And just 10 cents a minute after that, man. Is it really that cheap? Oh, yeah. Try it. You'll see. Sure, cutie. Why not? Step away from the pastry. What? That's the last to Claire, sir. Oh. <laughs> Dial 10, 10, 20. But uh, even the 10, 10 numbers all were the fucking identical. They all featured the same kind of cast of celebrities of varying relevance, such as Hulk Hogan. Alf, John Lithgow, Terry Bradshaw, Reginald Vell Johnson, John Stamos, Mike Piazza, Tony Danza, Doug Flutie, James Garter, Toby Keith, Christopher Lloyd, Dennis Miller, and yeah, even George Carlin, 
who just bitched about the entire thing did one of his own because cocaine ain't free and you know gotta pay the bills but they all touted basically 10 cents a minute calls any time of day if you just dial 10 10 whatever the fuck the number was and hey if you weren't at home you didn't have a calling card or you know just needed to make an urgent call and didn't have any money don't worry there was a number for that <laughs> hey what you kids do to me i'd like to make a collect call hey lady use your head Dial 1-800-COLLECT. Aren't all collect calls the same? That's just jibber-jabber. 1-800-COLLECT saves at least a buck or two. Ah, pity the fool who don't use 1-800-COLLECT. Me too. That's so easy. Don't even think about it. Use your head. Dial 1-800-COLLECT. And hey, you could still use all of those numbers in the year of our Lord 2023. Though, uh, y you might be surprised what they will set you back. Wikipedia says, quote, 1010321, 1010220s, and other 1010 services are still available as of June 2022. 1010321 charged a flat 30 cents a minute for calls within the U.S. and U.S. territories, while 1010220 calls within the U.S., except for Alaska, where it's not available, cost a buck 50 for the first 10 minutes and 25 cents for each additional minute, plus a 24.5% federal universal service fee, unquote. So, I hear you asking. What happened here? Why don't we pay for long distance today? You're probably thinking that the internet had something to do with it, but it did and it doesn't. It, it, it's really kind of more directly tied to cell phones. Mail Magazine wrote a detailed article about everything I've covered so far, but with a lot fewer swear words. And this is what they had to say. Quote, some genius came in and told them that it'd be more cost effective for them not to charge for it. Crazy, right? But half the expense of every long-distance call went into billing and collecting the money. So the cell phone companies bought tons and tons of what in layperson's terms are a bit like 800 numbers under which cellular long-distance calls are made. They passed that cost onto the customers as part of their monthly service bill. Thus, for everybody with a cell phone, long-distance calls are now at a flat rate, unquote. And if you're thinking, oh, yes, finally, we're getting one over on corporate America, Long distance calls are dead because, you know... We stuck it to the man. Win one for the little guys, right? Got some bad news for you. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Rest assured, pod friends, you are still paying for long distance every time you pay your cell phone bill. Only now, they call it data. Which... Basically just cell phone service, which if you're like most of us cell phone users, y you don't even use. I mean, when was the last time your phone started ringing and the first thought of your mind wasn't? But wouldn't you rather text me instead? Yeah, there are inf still infrastructure costs associated with cell phones. Cell phone towers aren't free. But what do you think is cheaper? Building a tower in a fake tree or laying hundreds or thousands of miles of cable over the broad expanse of the world? Even the fiber optic data lines run off the same basic structures built over a century ago for copper phone cables, which were originally built on the same throughways that the telegraph lines ran. The only time you're really paying for some exorbitant infrastructure is when you use a satellite phone, because the building blocks of most of all the phone network, and most of all, the land that Ma Bell bought to run the wi wires over, is still being used today. No matter how high the letter before the G they tack on, 
The amount you're paying is much higher than it needs to be so Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile can give their shareholders a bigger dividend. That's capitalism, baby. It is probably a whole different show about how cell phones used to do the same damn things as landline did with fee structures and free nights and weekends. That's right, kids. Once upon a time, we had 30 whole minutes of talk time a month and calls were only free after 10 o'clock. Uh, oh, God. Also, we used to pay for every single fucking text message. Can you imagine Zoomers? Can you imagine anyone today paying for every single text message? We would be broke in a fucking week. God damn. I, I don't know what we do. I guess go back to landlines. or I don't even know if kids today even talk to each other, really. Still, even though I was never a phone call, there, there are a few things about it that ring some nostalgic pains out of me. I mean, I remember calling home for the first time when I was in basic training and how the sound of my mom's voice on the phone caused me to burst out in tears or how uh, I get one free phone call a month from overseas for like 10 minutes of echoing barely audible connection with the states or, or how I hacked the official long-distance phone call lines to call my girlfriend from Kuwait for the first time in four months only to find out she had... Uh, sent me a letter the week before breaking up with me. Left with sweet memories. Today, everything is a text message or a video call, which is even more annoying than a phone call because now I gotta wear pants to talk to my boss. We could have done this in an email, Sue. And if, if we don't have endless calling plans and commercials, well, you know what? At least we have endless cell phone plan commercials that do the same fucking thing. Sell identical services for nearly identical prices because America is not nothing if not consistent in finding a way to fuck over the customer. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallerati, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That is it for the show this week. Yeah, like I mentioned, I thought I was going to do this big historical deep dive this week about nuclear power and nuclear power accidents and that kind of shit. I mean, it's the Chernobyl anniversary, but uh, you know what? Nuclear science is hard. I got a buddy that works in the business, and maybe someday we'll get around to sitting down and talking about it. But today, not that day. So you got a show about long distance calling plans. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Speaking of disappointments in the final product, rate and review us so other people can find us, take a listen, and find themselves uh, not entertained. If you think our show is worth a buck, hit us up on patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. All the money we go we get will go to paying for a prepaid card so Gavin can call his mom. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits, otherwise he'll be forced to stop accepting my collect phone calls from me after the bar is closed. And so for me, Dave, you said you love me, baby. Please call me on the phone sometimes. Bledsoe, producer, I'm going to buy your brand new Cadillac if you only speak some good words about me. Never mind, that, that seems rather extravagant for just a few kind words. Gavin and all the fictional long-distance operators on the show, we want to say... I hear my phone keep ringing, and it sounds like a long-distance call. When I picked up the receiver, 
the thought of loving you kept me going all night long. And we'll see you all next week. One of these days. Show you how what the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. It's very bad to steal Joe Booswell. <laughs>